You know what makes disc golf a lot more fun? Actually being accurate at disc golf and hitting your lines and hitting your targets and putting the disc in the basket a little bit more. In today's episode, we bring on Lucas Deal, who has really elevated his game over the last couple of seasons and even has a couple of wins in the advanced division in the local Wichita area so far this season. He teaches us how he has become such an accurate disc golfer and why he doesn't throw 400, 500, 600 feet but he's still able to win disc golf tournaments and have a ton of success in disc golf because he is accurate. And in this episode, he gives us his top tips for how you too can be an accurate disc golfer and improve your disc golf game. If you're like Trenton and I, you want to become a better disc golfer and you want to become more accurate. And accuracy is such a hard and touchy thing to find. So this has been super helpful for us already applying the tips that he has shared with us and we know it will help you as well. And if you don't really care about being accurate and you're the most accurate disc golfer in the world already, make sure you stay tuned through the end of the episode for Lucas's hot take. And let me tell you what, folks, you might want to not have the tilt in your bag, get the passion out of there, the vortex, all these tour series discs. What's the point of any of the discs out there that are coming out that are new? We get into a heated debate about the marketability of discs and if Everything that is being put out is really just a marketing ploy for you to buy a destroyer with a different name on it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from. We've got new podcasts every Monday and new YouTube videos every Wednesday. You're going to want to make sure you check those out. Last week, we did a lose a mold challenge between Trenton and myself. It was so much fun. Check it out over there. Leave a like rating if you're watching on YouTube. Leave a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you guys so much for tapping into this episode. Let's go ahead and let's get Lucas on the podcast right now. Hi, my name is Lucas Deal. You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Alrighty, everyone, if you're from the Wichita area, you know this guy, Lucas Deal. He's been just out there killing it so far in 2022. He's got a couple of wins under his belt. Lucas, how are we doing tonight, man? I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a, it's a real big honor. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You know, me and Quentin are very excited to have you on. Um, we, Me and you have just started getting to know each other a little bit better. We were talking a little bit more here and there. So super excited to have you on here and get your uh, get your view on the world of disc golf. And I, w- I want to start the show off with a little bit of an icebreaker. And, you know, we've been kind of asking for these episodes. Let's get some fan questions going, get a little bit more engagement going. And by golly, the Wichita local scene came out when we asked in the Facebook group for some questions for you. So I just want to start with this one before we really kind of get into your journey. This comes from Chase Anderson. What is your favorite course in Wichita and why? Um, Man, it's so tough because... I love a lot of the courses here. I think my favorite course to play for nostalgia purposes is Oak Park, um, just because that's where I kind of started playing. But if I want to take that aside, because I think that's probably most people's answer is Oak, and for good reason. But like, I actually really love Derby as a course, um, Stone Creek. I think it's just an awesome, awesome park with good lines that you have to hit. There's water, so it's just there's, you know, danger involved, and so I I just love that course. Plus, it's not too far from my house, so that helps. Are you playing in the Forefathers Fling? I am. So Sunday, I will be there. Oh, this is gonna come out after the day after the tournament. So let's 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 make something happen. What? How do you think it's gonna go for you? <sighs> there's some some real good people in my division in the advanced division, so. I am hoping for a top three finish. I would like to win it, um, but I'm just looking for a podium spot and I'll be happy. I would love to, like if I can shoot six down, like I'm gonna be, like I feel that's gonna be a good good score. So that's kind of like my goal in my head. And if I shoot better or close to it, then I'm gonna be happy. Right, I do have a quick question. How do you attack hole number nine, which for those of you who don't know, that is the long one of the longer holes along, it goes along the creek and there's literally trees the entire way, and then the basket's up on a hill. So it depends on the wind, honestly, like what kind of wind's coming through. Now, now there's not a lot that can get through, but if it's a headwind, um, I do more of a turnover shot that's going to go 
to the left, to the right, to the little placement area. If if it's any other wind, I'm actually playing kind of a backdoor hyzer um, and trying to just push as far as I can. So it, I play it both ways depending on what the wind's doing. Nice. Yeah, I'll be playing in that tournament as well in the intermediate division. So hopefully, you know, we can put something together out there. And, and this is the one course that I've had my absolute worst round in tournament play. So hopefully I can kind of kind of get over the, that hump right there. But it kind of leads me to the question of, you know, when you first got into disc golf, did you ever think that you were going to be sitting here a couple years later being like, yeah, I'm trying to get a top three? Like, how has your mentality changed maybe this year compared to years prior where maybe that wasn't always the case? Honestly, that's it's so true because I would say when I first started playing, I didn't really play a ton of tournaments. Um, I was just kind of played it for fun here and there. Um, I will say kind of in 2020 when the kind of pandemic hit, I did start playing a little bit more tournaments. And I actually dipped my toes in the advanced field for the first time there. And I just got pooped on all day long. Like, I, I got 63rd in a tournament. Like, I just wasn't good. And it, it kind of ruined my confidence. And I actually digressed and went back to intermediate. So, actually, this year was my first time back into advanced. Um, and it's been awesome. I mean, I have um, played three tournaments. I got ninth. And then I, I, want, I have back-to-back wins. And it's really, really exciting. Um because I mean the the first one was my first advanced win ever because I wasn't even anywhere close when I played in 2020 so it's just it's really exciting to uh to like be thinking like hey I can I can shoot fairly well um consistently and that's a very fun thing to think about and what do you think from 2020 to now taking that little bit of time off what do you or coming back to advanced what do you think the biggest difference in your game was so I would think it's it's more confidence than anything. Um, it's just like knowing that I can compete. Um, when I first got into advance, I'm like, oh my god, these guys are hitting putts from everywhere. They're just doing so. It's like, oh my god, they're throwing so far. And what I did in advance when I first started is I'm like, oh, they're doing that. I can do that. And then I just tried to. I didn't ever play my game. I played to how they were playing. Um, and then I realized that now I'm playing more towards my strengths and I'm not trying to be someone else. I'm just being myself and knowing what I mean. I'm the one that plays all the time, so I know what I can do well. So I put myself in position for myself to do well and not trying to do crazy shots that other people bait me into doing. I think that's really important that you kind of explain that there because especially in a tournament scene, I feel as though like, let's say you're third on the box, fourth on the box, and you see the first two dudes or or girls do something that you like, let's say you have your end of a rape and they go up there with like a pig or something like that. And you're like, oh, am I making a mistake here? How, How long did it take you to figure that out? And how much trust did you have to put into your game to do that? Was that just built through field work, multiple rounds, multiple tournaments? How'd you build that up? It was kind of a combination of thing. I would say, number one, it was just, I had to like be bad first. I had to try things that they were trying and then be bad at it before I realized that, hey, maybe I can't do those things. Like, you know, if someone wants to do some Simon line and I'm like, oh yeah, I can go crazy hyzer over that tree and then not even get close to the height that it needs and go directly into the tree. So it, it was failing first. And then like just being confident enough in myself to know that Hey, to, to just know my game enough and that's just a, like repetition practice rounds like I play all the time um, I don't play leagues or anything um, I just kind of doing my own thing kind of behind the scenes and I, I literally play mostly every day um, and it's just little things that I'm working on a lot of people get out there and they throw like 17 shots off the tee. I don't. I just get out there and I'm moving and I'm doing that shot. And if I screw it up, then I'm going to get get there and either play another round or get there tomorrow and make up for it. Like, I don't give myself, like, if I mess it up, it's done. It's messed up. So that's um, that's kind of how I look at it anyway. That's a great way to look at it because I know it can be easy to throw a shot. Oh, man, I missed it and then rethrow, and then in your head you take that battle like especially on a casual round you're like uh you know what i'll just play the yeah. better throw I mean, when in reality if you want to get better 
<laughs> right. It's like in reality, if you want to get better, you need to take those lumps and you need to work from the, the spot where you hit the tree 25 feet off the tee. I mean, I do it every once in a while and I'm, I'm like, oh man. But uh, yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great point. I also think it just builds you up to be able to then make the bad shot best capability in the tournament. What I'm saying here is that let's say you hit a tree 50 feet off the tee. You've never done that one time in practice, but now you do it in the tournament. If the times you do do it in practice and you just move on, you're never going to be able to get that rep from over there. So I, I really do agree that that's important. And, and maybe that's something that I should try to do a little bit more is just really, and that was something I used to be really bad at. I would throw three or four and I would just take whatever was the best. And then I stopped doing that. I was like, no, if I'm going to play tournaments, I have to get in a tournament mindset. Just play the one, play the whole hole out and just keep on moving except that you got a bogey here and move on so i really like that advice but lucas i really want to get into the mean potatoes of how you first got into disc golf you know we had your brother on a long time ago and it was an awesome show learned a ton and and he said that you kind of got him into disc golf a little bit how did you first get into disc golf i got into disc golf kind of gosh way back um when you know it was only people stoners playing um um, so a, a bunch of my friends decided to play and I'm like, okay, let's, let's try this out. And, uh, it, it was more so just kind of, a I just wanted to be active. Um, I called it hiking with a purpose and, um, and then, you know, I played and played and it's just probably, you know, um, it probably started eight years ago. Like when I first, first like dipped my toes in, then I, I played cat. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Like people have it so good now, like with all the instructional videos, I didn't have any of that. And my form is still whack. Like it's not good. Um, just because I didn't have these awesome, like your guys's podcast or like these form videos, like I had none of that. And so there's still like hitches in my game that, um, I'm just, I've just learned to work with. I, think disc golf for me was just something to get out there and hang out with my friends and and have a good time and i, I was putting with a mako like I, I didn't know what i was doing <laughs> putting with a mako you love to see it was it a dx mako or were you throwing star mako out there as a putter it was a star it was yeah premium plastic putter putting putter so you know like you know you know what you're doing then that's all right we all got to start somewhere and so, like, how did that evolve? How were you able to find yourself getting better? Did you have to really go digging out there on YouTube? Because I know even for Trenton and I, and it was kind of the same situation when we were first getting into disc golf. It was one of those things where it's like, yeah, sure, there's some informational stuff out here. It's not maybe the best produced stuff. You know, we want to create this podcast to to cater to those rec intermediate players, to help them get, learn about the sport in the first place, grow the sport, but also for once you've been playing a little bit, how can you get better? I think that's kind of something that we've really tried to focus in on. So what was that process for you like? How how, what avenues did you have? What, what were you doing that accelerated your growth? So I would say I didn't really accelerate for a long time. Like I was just playing with my friends and then I just by playing, you know, like you'll find things that like work. Oh, if I do this, like it makes the disc flip over and it goes further. Most of it was just me kind of getting out there playing and then realizing like, man, I'm getting better than my friends. Like they, uh, they're not great um so and i'm like and i've always kind of been a, a competitive guy so i'm like I, hey i wonder if uh am i like kind of one of the am i good like for the for the community like for this town like am i one of the better ones i i don't know so then i kind of dipped my toes into some tournaments and and started kind of that journey um but really for me it was a lot of just practice and not getting any better um until i was like okay after i got into a tournament and i'm and i i actually my very first tournament was a rec i was in the rec rec division um at some like random place in oklahoma i won and i was like oh this is awesome i'm like i'm i, I might be decent um so then like that, that win is what like propelled me. I'm like, okay, I want to get, I want to get better, but there still wasn't a ton of things, but I'm like, I just started playing more um, because I was so very, very casual before that. And so for me, it was just a lot of repetition, figuring out what works. And I was very kind of 
segregated. Like I just didn't play with a lot of other people other than the people that I knew. Um, and people were always kind to me, but I just like, I'm like, I just want to hang out with, with my peeps, you know, like, um, I don't really want to play with anyone else. And that really, um, that was a deterrent for me. Like if I would have like nowadays, like I play with so many different people and even people that are maybe not as good a player as me, like I figure out something from everyone I play with and that, um, I highly recommend you just play with everyone you can because you just always learn something. So, Lucas, you know, learning to play with new people and improving your game, what would you say was the turning point for you? Was it winning that rec tournament? You know, how do you go from winning that rec tournament to getting beat up in advance? Take me on that tour a little bit. Yeah, so I actually, so I would say the very first, the first four years of my playing, like, tournament-wise, first four years of playing tournaments, I played... Um, seven tournaments in total. So I still didn't play that often. Um, And, you know, real life kind of steps in the way sometimes with those types of things. But um, I played a lot of intermediate um, after that. So I played two rec tournaments. I got first, I got second. I'm like, I think I'm probably not in this division. So I moved up to intermediate and I'm like, okay, people are are better here. If I make mistakes, like they're going to capitalize a little bit more. Um, and so in the intermediate division, I, I didn't early on, I didn't, um, I didn't really win, um, a lot. Um, and it's kind of just like my advanced journey in 2020. Um, so you kind of have to just work your way up and, and take your lumps and it's not always fun to, to lose, like, especially when you're competitive. And also I was kind of a, I don't know, for me personally, like, because I've always been competitive, I like I was kind of a uh, cocky when I was younger too, um, and so I don't think I was fun to play with because like I wasn't friendly. Um, I mean, I'm always friendly as like a jovial person, but like I wanted you to mess up. I didn't want to beat you at your best. I wanted you to hit a tree every single time. Um, please hit that tree. And I think some of us are thinking that in our heads, but like nowadays like i want to beat someone when they throw the good shots because i want to follow it up and throw a good shot too i want to beat someone at their best and not because they're you know having a tough round so i think that's that is one thing for me that has really changed my game is the way that i interact with my card mates and and i'll I'll even elaborate on that a little bit for me if if someone is is down like it brings the whole card down like if someone's playing bad you can feel that energy right um so i want to build people up like if someone has a great shot i want to tell them great shot and then it feels like because we all get in this like robotic tournament tournament mode where like oh my god this is the tournament this is the and we build this thing up in our head like it's the biggest thing ever and we become tense and like i don't know how to putt now for some reason because i'm in a tournament um and when you build people up it takes them out of that and like i am just like i just act kind of nutty like just silly sometimes too because i want people to be light and when you do that it feels more casual than tournamenty and people like the whole card plays well. And that's what I want. I want everyone to play well, um, including myself. But I will say that like early when I, when I first tried to do this, people would like throw a, a decent shot and I'd say nice shot or I'd like, they'd lay up for a bogey and I'd be like, Hey, good layup, you know, or something like that. And I'm like, Maybe that's a little bit too much. Like, that's kind of condescending. So, like, unless it's, like, a, a really good shot, I don't usually say something. But when it is a good shot, you best believe I'm hyping them up. So I really like that. And I, I know, Trenton, I've talked to you and I've complained to you about this on our daily walks in that I really, really, really don't like it when card mates are talking while, A, I'm throwing, and B, while the disc is still in the air. Because I'm not going to lie. I'm a little baby and I believe in the nice curse. I believe that if you say something nice about my shot before it has hit the ground, something bad is going to happen. I can't shake that in my head. It is what it is. You can try to convince me otherwise, but it's so far up there. So I really do appreciate that because I definitely, you'll see, and and I, I think this is a good problem to have. I think it's a good problem when people are trying to be nice, they're trying to be supportive, they're trying to lift each other up. That is a good problem to have. That's way better than everyone being like, screw you, I hope you 
beat a tree every single time. And, and, and so it's one of those things where it's like on one hand, it's like, ah, yeah, thanks. But on the other hand, like you were saying, if you don't actually mean it and if it's not actually warranted, I really honestly am kind of to the point where I think it's better to be quiet. And I've noticed my, I, myself, I've done that a lot more at the Cold Witch Tournament that you, uh, shout out to you, taking home that dub. Uh, I found myself being extremely quiet because not a whole lot of good stuff was happening on our cards. But like I didn't want to come off as condescending and all that stuff. And when something was warranted, you know, yeah, you, you pick him up and shout him out. So I, I don't really have a question with that. I just wanted to say that. And I, and I, I appreciate that. And I would love to see more cards doing the same thing. Yeah, and I, and I agree because it can be very like you would prefer someone is nice than not nice, of course. And I think it's all perspective. Like I think when someone is saying, hey, like I have a buddy. He laid up for a bogey today. And I said, good shot. But I meant it because I've played with him enough that he runs stupid things. Like, he tries to run that nine times out of ten. And I'm like, that's not the play. But he laid it up. I said, good shot. And I meant it. And, like, and he understood. But if, like, we don't have that camaraderie or you don't know my game enough, it's going to sound condescending. So. Yeah, you almost went, like, caddy mode on your buddy right there. That's a good point, though, because you, de you definitely don't want to. And, Quentin, like you said, I do it all the time. I said, oh, that looks good, or get greasy, or whatever it might be, and it's, come on, man. You said talking and backswings and stuff, and I completely agree. Like, it throws me off, but I will say, because I know kind of where you play, Quentin, and where you play, Trenton, and the higher you get, the less that is. Um, people are more respectful of those shots. Absolutely believe that. <laughs> so that that leads me to kind of what I wanted to go into next. So, uh if you were sitting at the at the picnic table at the Millbrook League last Friday, you'll know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I'll give you a little brief explanation. So, so pretty much I had gone in there. I shot a seven down one league in the intermediate division, which, shut up, I'm getting to that, which, which scored better than all of advanced and was only one off Nick Unruh who won MPO with eight down. So... I was feeling good about myself. I was like, well, I just said a PR on Millbrook. I'm feeling happy. And then, and no disrespect at all, but then you get the sandbagging comments coming in at you. And it's like, ah, oh, dude, come on, be quiet. It's not that big of a deal. But so that leads me to two things. One, is the competition really that much more different when you jump up to advanced? And two, when should you make the jump to go up from rec to intermediate, intermediate to advanced, advanced to pro? What do you think is the appropriate time to make that jump? So this is uh, this is always a hot topic, right? This has been since the beginning, probably the, the beginning of disc golf. But I will say something that I dislike before I answer your question is I, I hate the term sandbagging because what because for you Quentin you've been working your tail off and you shot an amazing round did anyone say great round no it was instantly Trenton did, did, did I said great did. job okay, no one else okay. did yeah but, but actually but no very, that's not true I, I think a couple of people, people did say hey that was a good round but I get what you're saying yes but yeah you, you usually hear more of the move up move up instead of like congratulate and i think we need to do like more like man that's a great round like be happy for someone before you're just screaming at him to move up um so that's just a side note um because i've also heard that kind of because i probably stayed in intermediate longer than i should have but again it's just like a personal thing like for me it's like when i could play not my best and still finish top three or top five that's when i felt like okay i'm I'm over this division because um, at first when I like when I won my first intermediate, like I had to play lights out for my particular style at that point. Um, but when I can win or get close to winning without playing my best, that's when you probably need to move up. That's my opinion anyway. Let's uh, Quentin, you got anything else? Or are we good to move on to the next comment? All right, so what, Lucas, what do you think is uh, the best part of your game currently? I would say I'm a very consistent player. Um, I am not, like, I will sneak up on people. 
um, because I just play consistent. I don't make a ton of like bogeys. I get a lot of pars, and sometimes I'll hit a birdie, sometimes I'll hit a, a bogey, um, but I'm consistent, so my accuracy is good, and then my putting, I feel very confident putting, so like I can be in a lot of places and still feel comfortable. Um, I don't have good distance, though, so like it's tough. Um, so... But, but like the, the consistency, like being right in the middle, I'm pretty good with that. Let's explore the consistency and the accuracy a little bit more. And to give a little bit more context to uh, those folk who are not in Wichita, the tournament, the most recent tournament that you won, I believe it was that Colwich tournament, which is a, it's the most wooded course that we have. And, and Kansas woods is different probably from woods that you're used to wherever you live, because all the branches are so low to the ground. There's really not a whole lot of clearance. So I want to start with, how are you able to be accurate in the woods when you're not just able to throw a big hyzer and get as much, you know, as you want and you can predict always falling in the middle because you can throw it as far left as you want. And if you know your disc, it's going to come back. So first off, how do you become more accurate in the woods? What, what are some keys that you have? So for me personally, I don't, when I throw, like, let's say I'm not in the woods, let's say I'm in a big open field. I don't get a ton of height on my disc. Um, I'm very like straight line thrower, which with a, with a lot of like straight power. Um, and so that really translates well to the woods because I don't have to like adapt my game to not throw so high. I'm basically throwing the same. Um, so for me, it's, it's comfortable. Um, so I remember, um, the course in Ponca city. Have you played that one? The boys de arc. Okay. I don't, I probably butchered the name of it, but, um, I played it blind for the very first time and I, it was an intermediate tournament from last year. It was the first tournament of the year and I won that tournament, but I just play well in the woods because I have decent touch so I can, I can kind of shape a disc. Like I can, I throw, I like to throw a lot of flippy things. Um, so like, I, I feel like I have more touch and control with it. So I just do a lot. Of, I do a lot of Anheuser shots in the woods um, because Either it will Anheuser or I can just kind of flip up to flat and I feel comfortable with those types of things. I will say in the woods, like if there's a long, long shot, I'm not going to get there. So I will take my medicine. I will throw a mid and just go down the fairway just a little bit where I know I'm going to be accurate. Um, and I think even in, in, in the advanced division, people are going for the gusto. So they're trying to do way too much. Um, and here I am poking along um, and getting a par and probably taking strokes just because I um, am playing smart. But yeah, so for me, accuracy is also like, you just have to get out there and, and play. Like um, to know like, hey, if I release here, it's gonna go there. And just to like, and that's just practice, 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 practice until you feel like, Hey, I know exactly what I, what my disc is gonna do. But then you're in Kansas, and then the wind throws a whole other factor into everything. But if it's no not windy, I feel pretty good. And then the wind comes up, and I'm like, oh yeah, can I play disc golf? I don't, I don't think I'm very good anymore. Yeah. So you say you play every day, and you you focus on accuracy. Is that like, do you play your casual rounds exactly how you play a tournament? Kind of walk us through. When you're thinking about your tournament play or just in general, kind of how you're how you're thinking about your game every every time you play. OK, I like that. I love that because there's a couple different factors. Like I said earlier, shooting one shot. Right. So if I have a bad shot, you're going to have to take it. So then it really it forces you to make the good shot all the time. Um, so that's number one. Number two, if I'm actually it, in a tournament, like I said, I like to keep things light and then it feels more casual. Um, so I'm always just trying to keep my headspace like light, fun, um, ha have a good time. This isn't a tournament, right? Um, but I will say what, what happens in tournaments, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard this or if you guys do something similar, but morning rounds, like I'm a terrible morning person. Like I suck at mornings. Um, I'm so bad. Like I don't wake up very well. Like my body is stiff. Um, I just don't love the mornings. And so like I can get out there and I can warm up and I'm still just not feeling it. Um, and I don't really warm up a lot in tournaments. Like I will putt maybe 10 putts um, and then I'll just throw to like, like kind of loosen up my arms, um, but like not a ton. I don't do a lot of like pre-game up because I don't practice that way. 
when I go out, I'm coming straight out the car, just bombing as far as I can, you know? So I, I, I want to, I want to play like I practice. Um, so I don't do too much or it gets in my head and, and then I'm making it more than it needs to be. But I will say, because I know I'm not good at mornings and I know my body, I throw so much less far in the, in the early round. So like the first nine holes, I will literally go up a speed of disc just so I'm throwing something that's going to get further um, because I never throw as far as I typically do early on in the tournament um, until I'm really, really loose. Um, and so for me, that's something that has really, really helped me get to the basket or um, shape a shot like I want it to just because I'm kind of moving up in that speed of disc. Yeah, I've never really thought about that before, but that's a good point. I, I've heard other tips before about, you know, if you want to, let's say it takes you seven holes to really get in the zone and you're feeling good and, you know, maybe you have to practice seven holes and then you'll be in the zone by the time you're ready for a hole one. So that's really interesting that you bring that up because I definitely can kind of feel that. And I also think that a lot of people, myself included, psych themselves out for tournaments because they won't do what they do when they get outside of the car when it's just a regular round. So when you're not feeling your best and when you're maybe a little little jittery, let's say, you know, a little anxious or nervous or whatever about your shot, what are you doing and able to calm yourself down, release whatever it is you got going on to continue to throw an accurate shot? Because I I know I could I could feel one way one second and as soon as I start to release the disc, I I muscle up, tense up, all that stuff, and, and it's not even remotely on my line. How are you able to let go of all that and continue to throw an accurate shot? Yeah, so <clears throat> for me, I am a social person. So, like, I just try to disconnect because what we do when we have a bad shot or when we aren't feeling it, what we do in, is we dwell on it. Um, we think about it over and over and over and over. And so what I try to do is I engage someone in about a, in a conversation that's completely undisc golf related, um, just about anything. And that's why I think caddies are so important. Like my wife is always there. So she'll talk to me about like doing laundry or like just whatever it is, like something that's completely unrelated because it just it gets me back to like, Hey, I'm, um, I'm a human. Like we're, we're just all out here doing the same thing, but it just doesn't let me dwell because it's so easy, especially if you have like a bad hole. Like, oh my God, I will, I used to beat myself up for the rest of the tournament. If I took a triple, yeah, tournament's done. Life's over. Why am I here? You know, so um, I honestly think everyone needs a caddy. Um, someone that doesn't know disc golf is the best caddy ever because they don't know what to talk about. Um, it's wonderful. So, anyways, that's just a little hot take. That's a Trent. You trying to slide through on Sunday? Right, dude. I might actually <laughs> if I can. But uh, I don't know. I I would talk disc golf the whole time, and it would probably go opposite of what Lucas just suggested. Nah, we probably talk business the whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, it's that the same too. thing. We just talk about disc golf constantly. <laughs> no, that's a that's a very interesting tip. I uh. Uh, you couldn't see me, but oh, you could see me, but no one could hear me or anything. I was cracking up when you said your wife would bring up laundry in the middle of the round. That's that's amazing though. I might, I might just have to throw in like, especially during like NFL or whatever, when I'm paying attention to other sports as well. Like, I can't believe you know Patrick Mahomes threw that pick on fourth down or or third down exactly. or whatever in the middle oh, of a bad stop round. Stop talking about it already. <laughs> no, I, but, we all yeah, know it's going to happen. I, I get what you're saying. It's such it's a great. good point. All right. Yeah, talking fantasy football, talking like anything else in those moments is it's just like it takes you out of it. And then like you're back to being casual again, loose. And then that next shot is like, oh, yeah, I'm actually in a tournament and you forget sometimes. Yeah, we got to have a fantasy football Wichita disc golf league. I That would be I don't know who all plays, but I know us three probably do. Dude, I'm in six different leagues. It's my supplemental income. Like nice. I am, I am nice. big into it. <laughs> comment, nice. comment if you're watching on YouTube or any, if you can comment on whatever you're listening to, let us know if you would want us to fire up a uh, Wichita disc golf or Wichita area disc golf fantasy league. Cause that would be awesome. Cool. So I've got one more question on accuracy before we get to the fan questions. I think a big part of being able to get a little bit of distance, but to throw further is your nose angle. And I think nose angle is something that so many people, it's one of those words where they just throw it out there and they don't 
actually explain what they're talking about and kind of show it, you know what I'm saying? So like, first off, can you maybe give a brief overview if I'm brand new to the sport, what, what the heck is a nose angle? Could you maybe explain what nose angle is and how you can control it better? Yeah, so um, your nose angle, let's see if I have a disc. I don't know if you guys saw these, but these things are sweet. These new orbit escapes, they look sweet. Anyways, so, <laughs> so nose angle, so that's flat, and then you can go nose up or you can go nose down. So it really depends on what you want it to do. Um, most new people to the sport, they throw it nose up without meaning to, and then the disc goes up and then just hyzers out. So for me, because I don't throw with a lot of height on my shot, I'm a very flat thrower. Um, so all I'm thinking about when I throw is I've played long enough that all I think about is how can I generate the most amount of spin? And since re recently, I've kind of gotten a little bit better with my distance. It's still not great, but um, it's just really how can I spin and just be as flat as possible? And when I do that, when I think about my spin and only my spin, my shots just become accurate. And I can't explain it more than that, but I'm just thinking about spin. I think a lot of people think about so many things. Um, for me, I just think about one thing and just do that. And if that's off, then I'll, I'll maybe change my frame of, frame of mind. But it's really just one thing and just spin that sucker as much as you can. That's a great point. Jake Hebenheimer in the last episode talked about when he putts, he doesn't think about anything but what he's doing while he's putting it. So you take the same approach on the drive side of things or, I mean, any kind of shot, right? Any shot, right? Not just the drive. Yeah. And all you're thinking about is how can I generate the most amount of spin regardless of, I'm, I know this isn't going to go probably as far as I want it to, but I'm, it's going to be accurate. So you're focusing on just getting as much spin as possible rather than I'm going to throw this as hard as I can and it's going to go 450 feet and go in the basket. 100%. And it, it, honestly, it's the same with my putt. When I'm thinking putting, I just think, how can I, how can I spin this and get it in? And when I spin it, it glides more. It does. It's better for me. So. And the spin also gets the disc to do what it's designed to do too, right? Like that escape, for example, you throw everything flat, so it probably does a nice little S curve. It turns over a little bit and comes back. Um, yeah. So getting and especially the spin, these, the, the or orbits, these come back. Right? <laughs> I'm I'm not sponsored by disc or dy dynamic disc or anything, but uh, I'm just saying that's a good disc. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, hey, I think this has been a good discussion on accuracy and spin and all that stuff. Let's get into the fan questions. I'm going to start off with the first one that we've got here coming in from Chris Smith. Smitty, have you ever borrowed something of great value, financial or sentimental, and lost it before you could return it? What are we talking about here, Lucas? So I don't know if you've seen the, the Facebook um, for Wichita group, but... Earlier this year, the very first tournament of the year, kickoff, um, I forgot a mini. I said, Smitty, he was running the tournament. He was the tournament director. And I said, hey, do you have a mini that I can borrow? He got one out of his cup holder. It still had, like, pop residue, and it was all sticky. He's like, you can use this. I said, thank you, sir. Um, and then got ninth. So I hated the mini immediately, um, but then lost it. And so... He had asked for it back, and I, it was a tough conversation to tell him I didn't have it. Um, because it was like this metal gold mini. I don't think it was real gold, mind you, but it was it was pretty cool. I never gave it back to him because I couldn't find it. Um, but And so he's like, I'm never going to win a tournament again. Um, he's like, I'm, and so he was going to hold this over my head for the rest of my life. So, But I just want to point out some stats, some Chris Smith stats, who, if you guys don't know Smitty, he is a... Uh, he is an OG of the Wichita disc golf community, and he's a fantastic um, professional player. Um, but since I've lost the mini, Smitty has played five tournaments and won four of them. Um, last year, with the mini that he had, he played in 14 tournaments and only won six of them at a win rate of 40%. This year, his win percentage without the mini is 83%. So I think I kind of helped him, to be honest. Um, 
But also, I've been having it the whole time. Like, it's right here. Like, I've had it, Smitty. I'm just trying to help you win. Oh, that is awesome. He came out with the <laughs> stats and everything. I love it. <laughs> hey, Smitty, congrats on number 60, by the way. And we need to get you on here yeah. sometime. All right. Let's see here. Question number two from David Feltz. What is your favorite style of play? Um, example, singles, doubles, match play, etc. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I just like singles. Um, I will say I haven't done a lot of doubles, but I do enjoy that format, especially when I'm playing with my brother, um, because we have never lost. Do you know that? Like we have done three tournaments in advance and we have won every single one of them because he throws really far and I'm a good putter um, and he can and he'll hit putts that I don't hit. So it's a uh, it's really wonderful. It's like a good combo. And so, he can okay. Flip. He can forehand yep. too. Yep. It's say it. <laughs> you want me to say, you want it. Me to say it? Okay. Uh, okay. What's happening? So, okay. So we were literally talking about this. So Trenton and I work at the same place. So we go on walks all the time and just talk about disc golf, the podcast, all that stuff. And I literally was like, after we get Lucas, we should be like, Hey, let's do a YouTube video with Cody and the deal brothers against the par pals, Quentin and Trenton. And let's put a front nine on our, our channel and a back nine on his channel. And I hit him up and he was like, yeah, man, I'm kind of taking a break from disc golf right now. I said, Cody, <laughs> come oh, on. I didn't hear I, that. I finally have a good idea for once in my life and I get this response. I said, I'll but try, yeah, it's all good. It, it. It's all good. I was like, I was like, hey, no big deal, brother, man. Whenever you're good, like, like, let me know and let's make it happen. Because yeah, that's just so funny that, that you brought that up because I, we were literally talking about we should make that a YouTube video. Yeah, I would love to do that. So I'll uh, I'll have to maybe like pay him some money or something. <laughs> Hang out with me, brother, please. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Next question we got uh, comes in from Blake Vandergrift. What is it like competing with slash against some of the biggest names in disc golf? Was it as nerve wracking as it would seem? So I am wondering if Blake might think I'm someone else. Um, I am just an advanced player. I mean, I'm telling you, the advanced field is really wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't know if they're quite the best in the world. Um, so, Blake, um, I'm not Logan. I'm not Nolan. I'm Lucas. And uh, I would say the advanced field, it, it, wonderful people to be around. Um, and it feels great to be out there competing with them. Nick Hunt wants to know, how long are your fingers? And are those mitts, do those mitts hinder your game? <laughs> So when I first played my first round with Nick, we shook hands and he has been talking about my hands ever since. And I do have incredibly large hands. So these things are like, I mean, they're, they're big. Um, and I think they help. I think they help. Yeah. Look at, yeah. Look at those little baby hands. I was, com I was comparing it to my, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, yeah, yes. See, yep, see that. Yeah. So um, I'd love to shake your guys' hands sometimes so we can find out. I, uh, I think it helps, to be honest. Like, especially for my putt, like, it just feels, like, effortless. I feel like I get more pop on my putter just because of my, my huge, ginormous hands. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think they're good. I think they're good for the game. Nice. Uh, Cody Moe asks, are you good at Calvin's basketball putt since you're good at basketball? Um... Well, thanks, Cody, for saying I'm good at basketball. Well, yeah, I uh, I do probably play basketball a lot more than I play disc golf. Um, I still play in, like, leagues and stuff. Um, I have – Seth DeBoard was showing me the the basketball putt thing shot, and I was like, oh, that looks fun. Um, and I saw Calvin doing it, but I'm like, I'm, I don't ever try things. And he was doing it, and I'm like, oh, if Seth can do this, I can do this. Um so then I did it. It was terrible. And then it, I did it again and it went in and I'm like, oh, wait. And then I did it from deeper and I'm like, oh, and then I held the follow through and like, I'm actually pretty decent, Cody. You're, yeah. So thanks for the question. But yeah, I would love to have like a uh, Calvin putting shootout with one of you guys sometime. Not a bad idea. All right. I think I got one more. Um, ben Chambers asks, what's your favorite way to get in the zone before tournaments? And then what's your favorite putting tip? So a little two for one. I'm not at a tournament. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's how I get in the zone. I'm not at a tournament. I'm not at a tournament. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to warm up a ton. I'm going to do just a couple putts, going to do a couple throws, 
and then um, I'm gonna those first seven nine holes I'm gonna go up a speed of disc to make myself throw the as far as I want to throw and I think those are the the main things that I try to try to do um, and then like early on I try to do some icebreakers on the card I make like usually my wife's with me so I'll make some type of weird joke and uh, <laughs> get everyone a little off the um, like to forget that they're in the tournament and then we're we're off and running so if, if I can make the card laugh early it's going to be a good day if they're not laughing I'm like I got to work on some material so um, that's kind of how I like to I just like to keep it light um, have some fun out there and then um, putting tip man I uh, I love putting um, I will say people focus on too many things um, and again for me it's just that that spin and I will say, like, one thing that I think I do extremely well in tournaments is I don't... Some some days, and you guys will, can probably attest to this, some tournaments, um, you're just, like, you're maybe more off on the left side, you're more off right side. Um, so instead of, like, trying to... Like, a lot of people change, like, their body position and all of this stuff to, like... Um, all I do is if I'm off, like... If I'm, let's say I'm short, because I'm notorious in tournaments to like short arm everything because I don't commit because I'm timid. I'm timid because I'm in a tournament. So I'm always timid. So all I do, it's very, very easy, is just aim higher than you think. So like, so if there's, if the, if each chain, each link is something, I go about three discs high or three links higher than I would normally aim at the start of a tournament. Um, until I, I make a couple and then I'm, I'm like, okay, I feel good. But I always am so notorious for being short, short arming, not committing early in a tournament. And that's like those tournament yips, especially like putting early on. Yeah, completely understandable. I mean, Trent and I, we played a round at Oak on Sunday and the first two putts I really had to make were both step putts and they both went in and I felt like I couldn't miss anything after that where I know if I would have missed one, maybe the first or both of those, I probably wouldn't have putted as well. I do think it's a lot mental. You know, if your first couple putts go in, you're probably going to have a good putting day. Yeah, and if I feel like it early on in a tournament, if I hit band on a putt, I feel like that's a good miss and I don't get it as in my head. So I think that like it's all you know um, how you materialize it in your head and how how big you make something. But for me, um, my miss early is to be high and not low because I know I'm notorious for being low. Yeah, I love that. All right, well, hey, I, I think this material has been really good so far. I've learned a ton, but let's spice things up. Let's get it hot in here. Lucas, we're going to have to have you on for just a full hot take episode later. But, man, g give us give us the hot sauce to the chicken tonight. Okay. All right. So let me tell you guys a little something. I think pros are trying to follow the model that Macbeth set up with Discraft with, like, making their own line. So what did Macbeth make? He made the Luna, the Onyx, the Zeus or the Kong and, and the Hades, right? And those have been just phenomenal discs. Um, discs that everyone's having in their bag. But the problem is most of these discs that pros are making now, they're just not quite good enough or aren't as good as they were hoping for them to be. And they're going back to original molds. So I just watched Simon's in the bag, tilt's gone, right? Um, I, I, I think Eagle took the tilt out. Um, the Prodigy stuff, like the Distortion and the Falcor, I don't think many people are throwing those still. Um, Paige took the passion out of her bag. Um, early on, Cat um, and the Vortex, uh, Katrina Allen, um, I think that's too understable for her arm. So I think, um, now mind you, this is incredibly smart um, by these companies, by the, um, by the pros, because you put someone's name on it, for me personally, I buy it. Um, but if you're not throwing it anymore, that's a problem. So um, I just think, no, I don't know if we're ever going to get back to like the way we, they did it for Paul at these other companies. Does Paul still throw all those molds? I don't know if he throws the Hades. But he's still rocking the Zeus. I know he throws a lot of the Force. 
doesn't Paul move? He moves stuff in and out of his bag depending on where he's playing. Yeah, right? Paul is. Yeah, yeah. And I think Paige, I think, goes in and out of that passion too. But if she's in Kansas, that passion is nowhere around her. So. I think the overarching thing here is I wonder if it's really just a big marketing ploy to sell more discs because you can only sell so many destroyers, so many rates, so many, uh, I'm trying to think of a classic DD, like a Raider, you know what I'm saying? Like you can only sell so many judges before you got to slap somebody's name on it to sell more of those. And so I really do wonder how much of it is a marketing ploy. And I wonder if companies should be more inclined to be like, no, Simon, you need to keep the tilt in your bag. Even if you're not going to throw it, just say you might pull it out every now and then. So more people want it. Hey, Paul, you need to keep the Hades in the bag. So every time we make a limited run, they sell out in five minutes. Like, have you ever thought about that? Should companies almost be dictating what's in the bag week in and week out? I I think a little bit. And honestly, in my opinion, Think about this. Think about recently what just came out for DD is that Saki Slammer. You have every pro for DD talking about it. You have Valerie Mondahano throwing that, and she doesn't throw it very well. Um, it's like they are told to throw it. It just seems like that to me. And I don't know if, hey, maybe they're just getting used to it because it's new. But all these DD guys, um, even like some of the local DD guys, like they're all talking about... Um, this slammer and i wonder if it is like a more of a marketing thing than anything else um but i i think it would be it would be smart because like even like drew gibson just came out with an era right have you guys thrown that i bought one because it's got his name on it so i mean i'm just as i'm i'm the reason that they they keep doing this um but that thing is flippy drew doesn't throw that that thing is so flippy and so, honestly, I I think if they if they start making them throw the discs, what's going to happen is they're going to be more prone to making better plastic um, that's going to be longer lasting. Because if they're like, well, if I'm forced to throw this, you need to make this a little bit more stable, or you need to make this th- or like this. Or I need it to feel like this, and that way. Um, it's gonna. It, it won't get off the ground unless it's something they're actually gonna throw. I agree, but I. I mean, me personally, if I'm gonna create a disc with my name on it, I am gonna make it. I mean, I feel like Ricky. Obviously, Paul. Like you said, Paul has the best model. He designed those four discs that we mentioned earlier, literally based off of what he wanted. Whereas other people, I think, are just throwing discs out there, kind of like you said, Quentin, potentially as a marketing thing. Like, hey, this says Drew Gibson on it, or whoever, Ricky Rysaki. Doesn't matter who it is. Um, this has their name on it because we need to sell more plastic. You know, so I mean. I don't know where I'm totally going with that, but to me, I would totally try to make it something that would be in my bag. It wouldn't be just, uh, you know, oh, cool, my name's on this disc that I don't really care about. I I almost wonder if it's one of those things where not, maybe not on purpose or anything like that. If you're the pro, you almost want to make more of of a passion or a vortex instead of a tilt or a slammer because it'll be easier for those rec and intermediate players to buy and then throw that disc for longer instead of, and I know Lucas, you say you buy a lot of the tour series and you buy a lot of those discs just because it has someone's name on it. But like, I almost wonder if the higher up the ladder you go and the more you get into the MPO and advanced field, are they buying discs at the same rate that a rec and intermediate player is because when you're in rec and intermediate nine times out of 10, you're exploring so many different discs because you're a little bit newer to the game that you're willing to buy more discs and try more things out. So it would almost make sense for companies to be like, we need to put out a, a passion. So that way when Trenton's friend, who's just now getting into disc golf can throw that as their beginning driver for the first year, year and a half, and they'll continue to buy our stuff. Where if we put out an Onyx, maybe they can't throw that all the time and they're not going to like disc golf as much and they're not going to want to come back. I don't know how much validity there is to that, but maybe an interesting thought. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because I, I wouldn't... I, I would think that they would need to... 
Yeah. Did, did you guys ever watch the thing with Eagle um, where he was kind of talking to the person when he was making a disc for his Rainmaker? Did you guys see the making of the Rainmaker? So basically all he said was, hey, I want it to do this. I want it to feel like this. And that was about it. Like that was like, I just don't know if they have as much input um, as we think they should. Um, and maybe that's something that they need to negotiate as well. Um, but, you know, they're disc golfers. They're not disc makers so they may it may be so over their head that they're just like i want it to do this make it make sure that happens you know so um but i remember with paul like he just seemed to be involved in that in so much more than um a lot of that i think even james conrad with some of his like the nomad and th stuff i think he had a lot more input um i don't know how much like drew gibson or katrina allen um actually had had was the Vortex an actual disc already? I don't know. I don't know DGA's lineup. Yeah. But I know, I know, like, for the era, I mean, that's a that's a whole new disc, right? So I just don't know how much input they're actually getting into this thing. But I honestly think that they, they need more input or maybe class it down. Because like you said, that passion, like, get something that they're going to throw often. Like, um, and then fall in love with well and that's kind of where i was going to go just real quick my point was you might want to create these lower speed discs for the beginners but even as a beginner i mean not all beginners watch the pro tour so this could be irrelevant for a lot of people but as a beginner i'm like who's this ricky wysocki guy well he's got a cool name oh his name's socky bomb that's even cooler oh he throws an enforcer or a felon like obviously those are beefy beefy discs but you want to throw what he's throwing. Or like I have, I mean, even I'll even say Christian Zatar's Grace right there. That thing is sweet. I still can't even, I don't even have enough speed to throw that thing how it's supposed to be thrown. So it doesn't get thrown very much. Definitely not that one. But my point being is you want to throw, at least for me personally, I want to throw what I see the people I like to watch play throw. And I don't know. To me, you would want to create a disc that you would constantly bag because if it's on coverage or on YouTube or on Jomez or on anything more and you're throwing it more then people are going to want to buy it. And last thing, last thing that I'll say on it is it, it really does make me think how much can you really change a disc golf disc? Sure. You can add a bead, maybe make it a little bit more domey, less domey, but like, the diameter is going to be the same on all the discs, dang near, unless there's something I don't know. And so, like, you really can't change them that much. Like, I really feel as though if you look up and down the lineup of every single manufacturer, they've got four or five discs that they put a different name on, but they pretty much do the exact same thing unless you're playing at that top pro level and you can manipulate discs unlike us normal people. They're pretty much going to do the exact same thing for you. And I think that's what I love that Dynamic Disc just did with the Rives. They had like came out with like four with four different names. Like, put a name on it, sell it that way. You know, you don't have to change the disc. Just put your name on it. I, that's why I buy all that tour series. Like, I've never bought a Raider, ever. Put they put Ricky's name on it. I have a Raider in my bag now. Oops. Like it's just uh, I want to throw it the the best are throwing. So. Cool. All right. Well, hey, I think that was really fun. And like I said, we are definitely going to have to have you back on and just have a full episode of, of those hot takes because the list that you sent us, they, they are very good. Very, very good. But let's get into the ace round now. If you're new to the podcast, these are the same five questions we ask every guest that we have on. Sometimes we get some pretty good advice. Sometimes we get some really awesome stories. So I'm looking forward to what this one has in store for us. Trent, why don't you kick us off with the first question? All right, you are taking a brand new player to get their first three discs. What fairway driver, mid-range, and putter do you recommend? I'm going to give them a judge because I, I started with a judge. I putt with an Emac judge now, but I think the judge is a really good starting putter. And then I think I hate – I'm going to get a lot of um, hate for this probably, but I hate the way the rock feels. And if so many people say the rock – but I hate the way it feels in my hand. And it's all about feel for me. And so the buzz for me flies very similar, but I like the feel of it more. So I would say a buzz, and then I would probably like hand them a fairway driver, and then I'd hit it out of their hands and say, you only need the buzz and the, and the putter. 
That is the way to do it. I like that. That's good. That's good. Second question we got for you. What is the favorite course you have played in one course you have not played that you want to cross off on that bucket list you got? So I traveled to Arizona and I played Fountain Hills. And it's like, it's not like the coolest course in the world, but it's just so like, it's, it's pretty. There's tons of people there. And like, it's just, it's one of those ones that like, there's so much danger around that water. It's just a very, very fun course. And when the fountain comes on, it's, it's very, very cool. And it's just one that I've seen uncovered so many times that it's really, it's nice. And I would say the top one for me is probably a top for a lot of people that haven't played it, but the Eagles crossing course has to be up there. Um, I just saw on Brody's channel when he played it and like, I think I would be so bad at it. You have to have so much distance. And I already told you my distance is whack, but like I would still want to play it. Let me donate some discs to the water. It's fine. Like let me leave my mark here. My, my sacrifice for playing the course. Oh, I love it that you just called it a sacrifice. That was great. <laughs> I agree though. You got to leave some behind. <laughs> I agree. That looks great. Really quick off top, not necessarily off topic. Did you see Simon Lazat's new course that he posted on YouTube up in Pennsylvania? It's not his new course, but the new course. Look that one up on his on his YouTube channel. That course looks it's got some like high elevation shots that look pretty sweet. All right. Next question. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell or what tip would you give your beginner self? I'd give myself two tips. Number one, stop being a cocky little jerk, turd. Just have fun out there. And then hey, learn to sidearm and stop putting it off. Um, because I Still can't forehand very well. I am like getting uncomfortable with it now, and I actually just played a tournament that I threw five forehands in a tournament, and I'd never thrown any, so it felt um, good. So, but it's still a, a slow process, and I wish I would have learned that so so much longer ago. So, even if you like not good at it, like just keep going, keep working at it. Yeah, and maybe even have forehand only rounds on shorter courses. That way you don't absolutely kill your arm and it forces you to throw that and think about that and know there's not another option. So yeah, I really like that. Fourth question we got for you. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? I really got kind of reinvigorated into the game um, around six years, uh, I guess kind of eight years ago when I met my wife. Um, we started playing together. Um, and for me, that was that was something that like my journey with disc golf is like my journey with my wife at the same time. And so it's, that is a, is a memory that keeps on giving it because she plays now. She's like a true stud. Like she is so good. And it's because we played together and it's so awesome. Like she just aced yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, 300 footer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And she just came back from surgery. So it's, a. Uh, that for me is like such a, a nice thing. And she's still like my caddy, my number one fan. Like even like when I was terrible, she still thought I was awesome. Like, you know, it's just nice to have um, that kind of support um, in, in your significant other. So, yeah, that's amazing. That is, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. That's great. All right. And the final question, what is the biggest mistake you see new players make? They just want to throw so far and they just... <laughs> they just get discs that are way too fast for them. Um, that is always the thing. That's why I'm hitting that fairway driver out of my friend's hand immediately. Like we just need to get buzz is as much as you, as you need to go. A lot of people won't even let them throw more than a putter, but people are like getting 13 speeds. And I'm just like, Whoa, I don't even throw a 13 speed hardly. Like, um, and I've been in the game for a long time. So, but they just see like, especially if you play with someone and they see you throw far, they're like, oh my God, I have to do that. And then they just throw it so nose up and it's just an instant hyzer. And um, so that's it. You just, uh, just, just the distance will come. Just be patient with yourself. I promise we all started out not throwing very far. I still don't. And add to that, not throwing very far and in the complete wrong direction. Is that what you yes. did? Yes. Dang, I was way better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, roasted. I think that's a great way to end this episode. Hey, Lucas, it was so much fun having you on, getting to know a little bit more about you and learn from you as well. Where can people connect with you and kind of continue to follow your disc golf journey? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram, LucaDuker15. I got a, a U YouTube page, Disc and Deals. It's me and my wife. She's really bad at posting, um, so it's mostly me. 
but she's going to get back into it. So follow us there and uh, follow me on Facebook too if you want to. Lucas Deal. Thank you guys for having me. It was, this was a real, a real fun time. You guys are awesome. Appreciate you coming on, man. We're going to have to get you on again for that hot take only episode ASAP. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to get with my brother. We're going to try to make this doubles thing happen. Yeah, and, and, and we will put it on the YouTubes. And hey, if you guys have been watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave a like, rating, comment down below if you'd like to see that video. I know that'd be a ton of fun. And maybe the Par Pals will just par their way into an L on that one. But so much fun with this episode, Lucas. Definitely appreciate you having on. If you guys enjoyed, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check out the sponsors in the links below. You support our show by supporting our sponsors. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com backslash chain clankers. Got a ton of value going on over there. And we will catch you guys next week.